eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week, two excellent guests. First up, Troy Aikman with Fox Sports. Does not really need an introduction, but I'll give him one anyway. The uh, longtime Fox NFL analyst working with Joe Buck. Uh, they're only behind Pat Summerall and John Madden in terms of one team and the amount of seasons that they've called. Troy Aikman, of course, a football, pro football Hall of Famer. And we talk about, we have a really good conversation about how long Troy wants to remain in broadcasting, his future at Fox, being linked to Amazon. He's launching a new low-carb, low-cal light beer called Eight, named after uh, his jersey number we get into the Niners Rams NFC championship game what he thinks of Joe Burrow and some other really uh fun stuff Troy is always excellent he is a honest candid forthright dude I appreciate him coming on Chad Finn follows and we do a little bit of a media roundtable talk about the incredible divisional NFL weekend what it means for postseason NFL viewership heading forward gambling gambling companies hiring insiders and the Olympics which both of us obviously love but man um the momentum for the Olympics is not good and think you're looking at record low viewership. So Troy Aikman to start, Chad Finn to finish, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top when I gave Troy Aikman his uh, introduction, if you're a football fan, you don't really need this, but I'm going to do it anyway out of uh, respect for Troy. He's been the lead NFL analyst for Fox's NFL coverage since 2002. He and Joe Buck are the second longest broadcast tandem to call NFL games behind John Madden and Pat Summerall. That's um, unbelievably amazing if you're a broadcasting fan. You know him, of course. He's a pro football Hall of Famer. He's a father, businessman, and also now the proprietor of a low-cal, low-carb light beer called Eight, after his number. We'll get in to that. He will call the Niners versus the Rams on Fox this Sunday. They have the late window, which uh, usually means 40 million-plus viewers. And I'm pleased to be joined by... Troy Aikman, who I've talked to many, many times over the last decade or so. Troy, thanks for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. 
Absolutely, Richard. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. So, Troy, before uh, I get into some the, the conversation I wanted to have with you, I, I would be remiss if I just didn't ask you about, you know, we're taping this on Monday, coming off the Bills-Chiefs game, which I think will go down, honestly, as one of the great NFL games of all time. But this, to me, in my football watching, this was the best divisional weekend of football I've ever seen, if you take all four games from someone who played the game at the highest level as you did, from someone who calls the game at the highest level as you do now, what were your impressions of these four four games? Well, I'm I'm like you. I was, uh, you know, I think for any football fan watching these games, it's always intense. It's always exciting around playoff football. But to have the games go the way that they did and come down to the, you know, the last plays of the games were pretty incredible. And there's a tendency for all of us, I think, to to maybe be in the moment and feel like, oh, this was the greatest ever. But I think you're right. I, I, I'd, I'd be hard pressed. I can't imagine there having ever been uh, a weekend of games in the divisional weekend like this. And uh, so really exciting. I think that's been the greatness of the NFL uh, over the last several years has been that these games have just been so close and so competitive that there's a ton of drama and rarely you have these blowout games that just aren't really all that relevant. And even if they start out that way, they usually tend to tighten up at some point in the game, like we saw in the Tampa LA Rams game. So uh, yeah, really good for football, good for football fans. Great for the NFL. Troy, I know you're not calling this game, but with after the bills, after Josh Allen hits that touchdown pass and it's 13 seconds left, I don't know where you watched it, but, as someone who could have been in the same place as Roma was, you know, in that booth calling that game for however many millions ultimately watch it. What's your thought process? Like, are you thinking about how the Bills should play this in terms of the kick? I would love to just get into your mind. Like, if you were doing this game, what would you be thinking about as you're about to broadcast this to millions? Yeah, I think that's the, uh, I mean, you're, you're, it, it it becomes a not not a balance. It just becomes a timing issue, Richard. More than anything else, that that here you have the the Bills and Josh Allen, who just took the team down the field, played amazing, thirteen seconds on the clock, and so here you are celebrating that. There's replays that come with that, and then all of a sudden you're you're coming off of those conversations and immediately then trying to project forward as to okay, well, what should exactly happen here. Uh, and, and I, you know, the, the, when you're able to go back after the fact, which everyone is able to do, everyone can say, Hey, here's what I was thinking. Here's what they should have done. And, 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 and maybe, you know, but after the fact, now everybody has an opinion, like it was totally the wrong decision. I, I was thinking, yeah, you'd like to keep the ball in play. You'd like to make them return it. Uh, and so all of those things, and then you come back and you say after the fact, well, yeah, I mean, they, they end up losing the game. They allow these completions by Patrick Mahomes. So that's what I was thinking along the way. And then now Monday morning, I look at it and I'm trying to think, okay, well, what exactly was Sean McDermott thinking? Did he kick it off because he wanted to, to make sure that they could not have a return that he wanted to be able to rely on his defense to be able to set up a defense. You know, I mean, there's any number of things I haven't yet heard what Sean had to say about it, but anyway, my job as an analyst is to uh, look forward and then also explain why or what just happened. So uh, yeah, while I'm watching that game, my thoughts were the same uh, as what Tony's would be or Chris Collins worse or anyone else is to, okay, well, what exactly 
do we think that Buffalo should do here on this kickoff? And did did what they do was it the right decision or you know? And a, and a whole myriad of other things that you go through in the broadcast booth. All right, let me. I want to read uh, something I asked you, Troy, in 2015 um, when I was at Sports Illustrated. I'll read the question and then I'll read your answer. Question: You are a very young man in broadcasting at 48. When you project how long you want to stay in the business long term, could you see yourself going deep into your 60s and 70s? So here's your answer to this, Troy. What I believe is when my girls go off to college, which will be here before I know it. I think that is when this job will become even more fun than it is now because I won't be racing back after games to see them before they go to bed on Sunday nights. I might be able to enjoy more of some of the cities in which we travel. Having said that, I don't see myself doing this into my 60s and certainly not my 70s. God willing, I'd say I'll be doing this for another 10 to 15 years. So now, Troy, the seven years later, I'm now asking you this. I'm sorry. We're now seven years after I asked you that question. And I want to ask it again in 2022, when you project yourself in this business, how long do you see yourself going now, now that we're seven years past your first answer? Well, I will say that I did say 10 or 15 years. So that would, that would, I, what was I, 48, 48 years? Yep, so that yep, you're still in, 58 still or in line. You know, yep. early mid sixties. And, and that's, uh, I guess that's, I mean, hey, when I was playing, I thought, man, anyone who can make, when I was a rookie with the Cowboys, I thought anybody who can play 10 years in the NFL, that's pretty amazing when you start thinking about 10 years from now. And then I ended up playing 12 years, which by today's standards is nothing. But uh, the broadcasting, I mean, as we know, it's a terrific job. I love it. It seems that I've enjoyed it more and more each year. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, closing out what has been the most enjoyable year that I've had in broadcasting here in my 21st year. It's just been, I've had a lot of fun. I've loved the crew. I've loved the people I've worked with, but with all that, uh, I, I could see myself doing this another 10 years, maybe, maybe 12. I, I don't see myself in a broadcast booth at 70 years old. I just, I just don't envision that. Now we could get there and I could say, man, why wouldn't I do this? This is awesome. You know, but as I sit here right now at 55 years old, I just don't see that happening. You mentioned the run that Joe and I have had. It's been amazing. He and I are pretty much the same age. We're very close friends. And I think that's why I've enjoyed it so much. Uh, if, if we weren't working together or if he were off doing something else, um, you know, would I enjoy it as much as I've enjoyed it up to this point? I really don't know. But it's been a lot of fun and I don't want to close the door on anything, but as we sit here today, yeah, I could see, and I hope I would like to do this for, uh, for 10 more years. I'd like to be around 65 years old, maybe a little bit older, but like I said, I don't see myself into my seventies still broadcasting football games. And get back to broadcasting in a second, but, um, I read uh, that, uh, and I actually talked to Sandy Montag, who is John Madden's longtime agent and dear close friend. You were one of the people at John Madden's private funeral. Uh, that was held recently. And I wonder, without you sort of sharing something, let's say that's really private or personal, could you give my listeners a sense of what that was like? And I know just how important John Madden was to you as uh, just a, as part of your life. Yeah, it was uh, it was a really nice service. Um, I mean, it was really well done. Uh, the church where it was held was just beautiful. Um, thought the speakers were amazing. His two sons, uh, Joe and Mike spoke and then Matt Millen spoke and 
you know, there were the people there that you would expect to see. Uh, the commissioner was there, Jerry Jones, Al Michaels, uh, Peyton Manning, myself, you know, a number of obviously uh, people within the business and the broadcasting world. And uh, so I thought it was just really well done. Um, you know, John had an amazing life. He had an amazing impact on, on so many people, including myself. I do consider uh, John a, a very close personal friend on many levels. It started out because of him covering our games, it turned into a real friendship to where I spent time with him in the summers. I spent 4th of July's with him. I golfed with him back, back when I was playing. Uh, then we became colleagues at Fox for just one year. In fact, when I found out that John Madden was going to Monday Night Football and leaving Fox, it was right after my first season, uh, he's the one who called to tell me uh, before the news had even broke. Um, we went into the Pro Football Hall of Fame together, which was incredible, uh, really an honor for me to go in with him. Uh, and so just shared a lot of great moments. Um, and I was always better for the time I spent with him. And I think most everyone who knew John would agree with that and say the same thing. But yeah, it was a terrific service. Uh, I know they'll have a public service following the Super Bowl. Uh, I, I'm not certain whether or not I'll be able to attend that one, but I was I was sure happy to be able to be there last week for this one. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, Troy. Thanks. We're going to go sort of to different uh, things here, just because there's a there's a lot I want to catch up with you with. Earlier this week, you announced the launch of a low cal, low carb light beer called Eight, named after your jersey number. In doing a little bit of research, I saw that you had a summer job at a beer uh, distributorship in Tulsa, Oklahoma, <laughs> when you were young, when you were a young lad. So, you know, beer at least is a part of your background. And so I wonder, like, very, very big picture, like, how does one go about creating a beer? Like, how does that happen? Uh, well, <laughs> well, I worked at a, I worked at a distributor, like you said, one summer when I was 19 years old. I've done some uh, national campaigns uh, for Miller over the years. Once I retired from football, I've always enjoyed beer. Never in my wildest dreams did I imagine that I would be making beer. But, uh, you know, through a mutual friend, um, there was uh, I was introduced to my now partners. The conversation ensued about uh, whether it was a viable thing for us to pursue. And, you know, the more I thought about it, Richard, the more I thought, yeah, I think that I think there is a need. I think the, the first of all, there, there's, there's like over 8,000 breweries across America. And the segment that we dove into in the, in the light beer category is probably as competitive as any of them, the most competitive. And so we certainly understand the, the challenge that we have in front of us. We're taking on a lot of heavyweights, but felt that it was time for something fresh and something new. Uh, we're launching a, a primarily uh, or just exclusively in Texas when we launched February 1st. And I felt that when I looked at it, Richard, that, hey, if we could do this, not only do, did I feel that something fresh and something new could, uh, could be, of, uh, I guess, that the, the people would enjoy, but also could we do it differently? Could we do it maybe even a little bit better? And I feel that we were able to do that. So it's been, uh, it's been a lot of work. It's been over two years that we've been working on this. And, uh, and now the rubber meets the road. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. The reception that we've had uh, when we've gone around and talked to people about it, about our idea, when we've met with distributors across the state of Texas, people have been really enthusiastic and excited about it. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious. I'm excited. Uh, I'm, I'm all those emotions right now as we get closer to February 1st. 
Troy, this is a total layperson question. I, I really have no, I don't even know what the answer might be. But what would the process be? Let's say it's successful in Texas. Like, what would the process be of getting this beer to New York or Illinois or Maine? Like, is that a is that a hard thing to do? How does that work? Do you know? Well, it, it, it's time consuming. I, I think it's just a matter of whether we'll see how it does in Texas, and if if there's a demand outside of Texas, and and we feel that those are viable states, then then we'll certainly move beyond. And and I, I will be a little bit more clear on our beer for those people that are listening and saying, okay, well, why exactly is eight uh, a better beer? And what I would tell you is that our, we, we have no adjuncts and no fillers uh, in this beer. And that is unusual. In fact, I can't think of another widely available beer that can stake that claim. And so that was the challenge for us in making this beer. And a light beer is not easy to make because you can't hide anything when it's as clean and as crisp as light beer is supposed to be, you can taste everything that's in it. So we are an all malt beer, which means we don't have any corn, any rice, any syrups, any added sugars. Uh, and that in and of itself is, uh, is pretty unique and it's different from what other beer brands can claim. Uh, and so I always like to say it is a better for you beer, if you will. And yet we're at 90 calories and 2.6 carbs. So we hit all the measurables that were really important and uh, partnered with some amazing people that helped and got us to where we are. And I'm pretty fired up about it. That's interesting. I appreciate that. Have, uh, has your crew, Richie Zions, Rich Russo, Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, <laughs> yes. uh, Troy, Troy, sorry, uh, Aaron Andrews, yes. have they, yes, they've had it. Rinaldi, <laughs> what's the, uh, what's the, what's the, uh, what was their result? What did they Overwhelming, say? Overwhelming uh, success. Um, okay. Yeah, they they loved it. Everyone who's tried it uh, has loved it. I think we've got something really special, in the, and and of course I do because I'm the one who was involved in the taste test and and yep. how we put this together. But then when you go out and you inter- introduce it to others, and it's one thing to say you're right. I mean, if it's Joe Buck and Aaron Andrews and Zions and Russo, and yeah. you know what else? What else are they going to say? say but, of course. But <laughs> you can tell, Richard. You can tell. It's like when you have people over for dinner. You can tell if they like the dessert or if they like the barbecue or whatever it is that you're serving. Um, right. <laughs> they they go back for seconds and they go back for thirds. They like it. So we're in good shape. Nice. All right. It's good. Good taste testing competition there. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. All right. I ask you this, Troy, almost every time we talk. You've been a broadcaster since 2001, and I'm always interested if you feel um, that you're still improving or if you have reached your apex. You mentioned earlier that you, you this was the most enjoyable year of broadcasting for you, the year 2021. Enjoyable doesn't necessarily mean you're getting better or improving, but, yeah, right. but, maybe it, but maybe it is. So I'm wondering from your perspective, do you feel like you still get better at 55 being in the business? Okay. How's, I do. How so? I do. Um, I, I think that's true in life though. I mean, I, I think that I'd like to think that I'm a better person today than I was a year ago. Right. Um, I, I, you know, I mean, in everything I've ever done, 
I've always wanted it to, to be better. I, I'm sure I don't want to speak for you, but I'm sure that that with each podcast or each year, you look back and you say, oh, man, I feel like I've made a lot of improvements. Definitely. And for me, I think in broadcasting, um, I feel I feel that as I've gotten I'm in, again, I'm in my 21st year, I'm in my 20th year in the number one broadcast booth. And uh, I, I just feel that at, not just this year, but over the more recent years that that I've uh, not worried as much. I feel the more established I become, then the more I'm willing to kind of go outside the box a little bit, if you will, and not feel that, okay, how's this going to be viewed or what, you know, I, I just feel like the handcuffs, so to speak, come off a little bit more. Uh, and I'm able to, to kind of maybe dive into things or, or present things in a way that maybe earlier in my career, uh, I, I might not have done. So I think for, so, so it's very freeing, I guess, is a better way of saying it. And I think from that standpoint, it's got, it's made me a little bit looser and, uh, it's, it's made it a little bit more fun for me. Troy, it's a uh, it's a testament to your work that people are interested in your broadcast future and you as a broadcaster. I think one of the things that uh, why we've had a good professional relationship is I, I'm pretty honest and direct with you and try not to BS you. So I, I do want to ask you a couple of questions about um, what's been reported out there in, in in regarding Amazon's potential interest about what you want to do. Uh, with uh, Fox. Uh, and I know how from talking to the Fox people that the relationship is great and they would like you to stay for a, a long time. So let me sort of just put that out there and preface that as I asked okay. Troy, as Troy these questions. Well, that goes back to the earlier question about how long I'm going to do this. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so what is, like, if you can answer this understanding that there's no one negotiates uh, uh, publicly, um, what is your interest level in doing Thursday Night Football if Amazon came to you and presented you with something that was interesting to you? Yeah, there, there, there's interest. Um, and I'll, I'll, be as, I'll be as totally uh, transparent and as honest with you as I, I, as I can be. And, and, I, and I guess when I say as I can be, uh, there's, there's no restrictions on, you know, I'm not hiding anything, I guess, so to speak, right. that there are there are conversations that are taking place, and to be honest with you, Richard, I don't know. I honestly do not know how this is going to shake out. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if I'm going to be working uh, for Fox. I don't know if I'm going to be working for Fox and Amazon, and I don't know if I'm going to be working for Amazon. So it's uh, it's anyone's guess right now as we as we are talking, and those conversations are are ongoing, and I'm just not. I'm not real sure how this thing's going to uh, look when it's all said and done. Is it feasible for your life schedule for you to call games on Thursdays and Sundays? Uh, yeah, you know I've been doing it. Uh, I've been doing it for four years now. It's uh, it's a lot of work. It's challenging. It's not uh, it's not probably ideal, but uh, but it's it's I, when I first did Thursday nights, I thought it was something that I would do for one year. And then, you know, kind of move on. And then here we are four years later, we did the entire Fox package for the four years. We were scheduled to do it a whole another year. Uh, but but Amazon, of course, took it over, is taking it over a year early. But yeah, it's it's uh it's feasible. I mean, it's viable, but it is uh it is a lot. I mean, it is a it is a lot to get done because the way that I prepare for a game, um, 
you know, there's there's not many minutes in a in a day when you're doing two in a given week that you have free to do anything. I mean, you're pretty much locked in from when you wake up to when you go to bed on preparing for games. So um, if that's if that's the life you choose, then you can do it. And that's the life I've had for the last four years. You Troy, you have what is absolutely one of the best four jobs. Uh, if you want to combine Lewis Riddick and Brian Greasy into sort of one up, which I'll do this for this conversation in um, NFL broadcasting. There, there is there are only a finite amount of number one broadcasting jobs. If you then want to even sort of extend it, there's only one. There's only two broadcasting jobs where you are in the 4:25 Sunday window, which is the most watched window in television. So then that would be you and Tony Romo. If you want to sort of even extend it, I would argue you have the two best jobs in NFL television. Philosophically, does something like that matter to you? Because if you went to Amazon, as an, as exciting a prospect as that would be, and let's say you were not doing games at Fox, the reality is your your games would be watched by at least initially less people. Does I don't know if ego gets involved there, but is that something that you would factor, contemplate, think about? Uh, yes. Yeah. The answer to that is yes. Um, I, I think I'll say that the number of viewers, for instance, you say that this upcoming NFC championship game, you know, 40 million or whatever that number might be. At, at, at least. Yeah. Yes. And then, then that excites me. And the reason it excites me, Richard, isn't as much because of the 40 million as much as it is that that tells me that this is going to be an amazing game. And there's a lot of interest in that game. I think that for me in broadcasting, the number reflects the interest and to do a game, to do a game where there's a lot of interest in the game. Yes. uh, That's, that's very appealing. And I know when we've had Thursday night games, there's been times where we've had really compelling Thursday night games The numbers aren't the same, but yet, I'm every bit as excited about calling those games. The, the, the challenge with Thursday night is it's not a flex schedule. So what looks to be a good game when the schedule comes out, all of a sudden it's not a competitive game. And those games, you know, you still do the work. You still go in and you do the best job you can. But when you know that there's not as much interest by the public, it, it's, not as, it's not as much fun. I mean, let's be honest. So and, and the late afternoon window on Sunday, I agree with you that the numbers bear it out and it just feels right when we do night games. And then all of a sudden we show up for a, for a 4 PM Eastern time kickoff. And it's a, it's a big time game and significant game with a lot on the line that feels good to me. And it's what I'm comfortable doing because it's what I've been doing for 20, 20 years. Um, whereas the prime time Thursday night game is a little bit different. I feel the broadcasts are different. But there's no doubt that that would certainly factor into any decision that I make. Okay, last one, Troy, and you've been really generous with this because, again, most people in the business do not talk about this publicly. They'll talk about it privately but not publicly. You can correct me if I'm wrong. From what I understand, uh, there's still one year left on your Fox contract. Those contracts usually conclude after the, the NFL season is concluded. Next year is a Super Bowl, by the way, for Fox. Regarding all this stuff, Troy, do you have a date in your mind when you'd like it resolved, when you'd like to sort of know your both short-term and a little bit of long-term future heading forward when it comes to broadcasting? Yeah, I think it'll be uh, – I'm pretty confident it'll be resolved uh, shortly after the Super Bowl. I don't think this is something that's going to drag on. Uh, it, it could be resolved, I guess, at any time, but I'm, I'm confident it'll be resolved uh, relatively shortly after the Super Bowl. So that's, uh, that, that's not a concern of mine. 
Okay, great. Thank you for answering that stuff, uh, Troy. I appreciate it. All right, let's uh, let's finish on this. I want to talk to you about the Niners and the Rams. I don't know how many uh, people expected this game, but this is what we have. I mean, I think you know, you guys could have been in Green Bay. You 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 could have been. Uh, you, you could have been elsewhere, but now we have Niners, Rams. The weather actually for you will be nice uh, on that one. Um, <laughs> it's really an interesting yeah. game. I mean, I feel like, you know, Matt Stafford is like a fascinating story to me this year, just given his history with the Lions, and he's now one game away from the Super Bowl, which is kind of amazing. Jimmy Garoppolo feels like he's had 25 like careers within one career, and again, for everything <laughs> written about that guy, he's one game away from the Super Bowl. There's stars yeah. all around the ball, Aaron Aaron Donald and uh, Von Miller. It's an interesting game, and I wonder... Yeah, you're starting to like, I know you are really, one of the things I think people respect about you is you do deep, intense preparation. You are always prepared for a broadcast. So what are you starting to dive into now as you're starting to think about this? We're taping on Monday, so you got some time, but what's your thoughts starting starting the preparation for this? Well, we had them week 18. Yeah, we had this right. matchup week 18 that the uh, 49ers had to win in order to even get into the postseason. So you, you, know, you could argue that the 49ers essentially have won three playoff games in uh, all road, all, all road wins. Um so these two teams obviously know each other very well. Um, that's that's exciting. 49ers have dominated the series here over the last, you know, what, four or five games. They've, they've won. And, uh, and so I'm excited about that standpoint. I'll th- tell you what, the first thing that comes to mind, though, when, I, when, when the Rams were able to beat Tampa and then be hosting the NFC Championship game is when we were there at SoFi Stadium Week 18, it was – it was a big 49er crowd at that game. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know what the numbers were, but I, but it sounded when the 49ers started coming back there in the second half, you could see a lot of red in the stands. And then when they started coming back, it sounded like there were more 49ers fans than there were Rams fans. And I was just reading before jumping on with you that the Rams are trying as best they can to, to limit those tickets. <laughs> you know, to their people. But I'm curious. I'm really fascinated to see what that crowd is going to look like. The game itself is going to be phenomenal. We know what the 49ers are going to want to do. We know how the Rams are going to try to play it because we've got history with these two teams and these two coaches. Uh, and then I'll dive into it and watch the tape and, and, and go from there. But it should be exciting. These, these games between these two typically are. And then with what's at stake, uh, is pretty exciting too. I'm anxious to watch Matthew Stafford. I think that I think the narrative about can he go and perform at a high level in the big game, I think that's, that's I think it's time to put yeah. it's time to put that to bed. Exactly. Uh, he played great in the divisional game and it's been said and, and and he gets it. We all get it. They didn't sign him to get to the NFC championship game. They they signed him to get to the Super Bowl and to win the Super Bowl. But even if he goes out and doesn't play well, to suggest that the stage was too big for him, uh, I, I, I think it's time to put that to bed. So uh, I've been impressed with what Matthew's been able to do. I've known him a long time. Uh, grew up right here in my backyard where I now live. And, uh, and I love what you mentioned Garoppolo. I, I love what Garoppolo's been able to do. Uh, I think I don't know Jimmy that well, but – I tell you, he was certainly raised the right way. I mean, an amazing young man. And for him to handle the situation with Trey Lance coming in the way that he did, uh, I don't know that he's gotten enough 
credit for for that. So I'm really happy with how he's been able to play and the fact that he's gotten his team to this situation. I've read a lot of people say Joe Burrow reminds them of Troy Aikman. Uh, poise. That's a compliment to me. Yeah, poise, maturity, uh, sort of well beyond his uh, his chronological years. Uh, I don't know. You maybe Trey, you both have taken nine sacks in one in one game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I took eleven. Uh, once. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I don't. Again, I don't know if you know him, but from afar, what have you seen? Because um, you know, I've read some people like respected NFLers who have compared him to you, which is interesting. Well, hopefully people think I'm as good looking. So, you know, that, that would be amazing. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I I've covered Joe. I met him when we had him earlier in the season for a Thursday night game. Uh, I hate that he's in the AFC because I'd get to talk to him a lot more if he was on an NFC team. I always pull for these great quarterbacks to be in the NFC. But, but I have loved – I have loved watching him play <clears throat> and his game. Uh you know, obviously a great player. I mean, he is he's going to be an absolute superstar if he's not already. But what I love is he's got he's got the edge to him. He's got this competitive edge and confidence that I think is important in order to be the quarterback that you need to be in order to win it all. I love the way he answers the questions. Uh, I just think that he's such a tremendous representative of that organization of our league and uh thrilled with what he's been able to do and what he's been able to do for that city you know it's been such a long time I think when we see teams like that it's a little bit like Cleveland last year you know I don't go in having a rooting interest in any of these games but when you see franchises that have struggled for a long time and then they come back we saw it from Jacksonville years ago when they went to the championship game it's just nice because I know that these fan bases you know, they live and die so often with these teams and to have teams that are just annually disappointing their fan base and then to finally be able to emerge from the depths uh, and have the year like Cincinnati's having this year, I think is awesome. I'm with you. Buffalo-Cincinnati would have sort of been that. That would have been just very cool, like yep. two teams that yep. uh, you'd, you'd feel good about uh, either of them being in there. All right, la- here's the last question, Troy. I uh, When I worked at Sports Illustrated, I used to do a Q&A column with celebrities so i would uh i'd be fortunate enough to like interview very very famous people you know russell crowe like all these people who were promoting something in sports i remember so i love this question and you are well known enough in the world to answer this where the answer will be interesting is there a person out there that you have not met that you would like to meet and if so who is that person and why oh man um yeah there 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 are see it's funny you say that Richard because I occasionally will be talking with somebody and somebody's name will come up and I say oh man you know what that is someone I'd really like to meet someday and there's not many of those people I'm really not one of those who necessarily gets excited meeting someone because they're they have celebrity but but there are some that I really do have great, great admiration for. Off the top of my head, and there's there's some others, but I'm not they're not coming to mind right now. Would be Sylvester Stallone. Interesting. Okay. Um, I'm I'm a I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, first of all, because of the character Rocky and the impact that it had on my life when I was 10, 10 years old as an aspiring athlete. It it really was a movie that just hit me right to the core and a character that inspired me to do whatever it took in order to achieve my dreams. And then 
when I knew his story and writing <clears throat> when he wrote that and then could have sold it. That's right. And he didn't because he wanted to be the lead. I just thought that it <clears throat> says a lot about him and what he's all about. And he, in a way, is Rocky. I mean, he is that character. He's lived that. And so uh, I have great admiration uh, for him, and he's definitely would be would be someone that I'd want to meet. I love that. Are there is there are there any steps in Henrietta that are equivalent to the steps in Philadelphia? That, uh, that <laughs> no, no, but there is a hill. There is a hill. It's called Fifth Street Hill, I, Richard. I love it. And this thing, this thing is straight up. I mean, you feel like you're going to actually tip over backwards when you're driving up it. I would run that when I was a kid. I would run that hill, and uh, it's the it's the hardest. If, if you're into running hills, go to Henrietta, Oklahoma, and take on Fifth Street. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. I love that. Fifth Street is like the Philadelphia Library. And then I can see 12-year-old Troy Aikman putting That's his it. hands up in the air <laughs> that he's made it. All right. <laughs> Troy Aikman is, of course, the uh, lead NFL analyst for Fox Sports. You'll catch him this weekend calling the Niners uh, against the Rams. Um, and also, if you're in Texas, I know we have listeners in Texas. Um, like you said, February 1st, that's when 8 comes out. It's a low-cal, low-carb, light beer. I assume it'll be at restaurants uh, to start with. Yep. And so uh, check that out. And I, Troy, I just want you to know, I have – my sister lives in Dallas, so I'm going to let her know on February awesome. 1st that this is coming out, and she will – I mean, let's face it, you know, Joe Buck, Aaron Andrews, they're all in the tank. I'm going to get my sister to do the taste test, and she will give me, uh, she and her husband will give me an honest uh, assessment. But if they, uh, that would be amazing. If they like it, they're going to ship me some of this. I'm, I'm looking forward Good. to it. Good. Excellent. Can't wait for you to try it. All right, Troy, listen, man, travel safe. It's always great to catch up with you. And uh, thanks as always for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you, Richard. You're the best. Appreciate you. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All right, we move from Troy Aikman to another NFL Hall of Famer in Boston Globe, <laughs> sports media writer, Chad Finn. Uh, Chad, Chad, Troy was excellent. So there's a lot of pressure on you basically to come through in this uh, in this segment. But thank you, as always, for joining me on the Sports Media Podcast. Troy, is, uh, isn't he about the most candid, high-profile guy there is right now? He is unbelievable in terms of if you ask him a direct question about things that most on-air talents at his level are will not necessarily lie, but dodge, I think, out of a little bit of protectionism. He is candid as hell. I think, Chad, you can correct me if I'm wrong. My take is that he was just asked so much shit as the quarterback <laughs> of the Dallas Cowboys, the most high-profile team, arguably, in the United States, that, 
like, what could you ask him that he sort of hasn't had to deal with? And maybe he's just sort of at a stage in his life, although he's been doing this for a long time in terms of being candid, where he just answers candidly and just lets the chips fall with him. I feel like Barkley is like that too. That's the other guy. Yeah, he's in his own category. Um, yeah, that's probably true with Troy, now that you mention it. He was, I think, the second person I ever talked to when I started doing the media column for the Globe 10 or 11 years ago. And he was the same way then. I, I, I think he's gone a little bit um, even more candid since, but he, he was pretty straightforward and, and uh, uh, accessible at that point in time. Um, he's uh, He's... To me, he is also the uh, the best color analyst of ex-Cowboy quarterbacks. I, I, I still think he's uh, better than this version of Romo. Uh, Romo don't, make is, me, don't make me pick between the two, Chad. I know he's, I, I know you get the Romo access. I do. Yeah, well, yeah, I like I, – I listen, I, I'm definitely in the Romo camp. I never would deny it. I'm a big he doesn't Aikman speak fan. in complete sentences anymore. The last three minutes of that game Sunday. Yeah, I'm gonna, I, I don't see it the same way, but we're not focusing on that because we have more important topics to do. I will say this. I think both are excellent. <laughs> both are um, are worthy of being the sort of having the number one tag at a uh, at a place. And finally, you are dead right about Aikman. I can tell you, I forgot when it was. It was when Troy came on a podcast. It may have been three or four years ago. I wish I could remember. Five years ago. He blasted Jamie Horowitz hiring Skip Bayless. I mean, just absolutely mega bombed them and saying like you know if this is like indicate if this is indicative of like fs1's like kind of hire like who they're going to hire uh you know i, I think fs1 should sort of think twice about what they are I, I, i'm paraphrasing the quote it, it wasn't that exactly i remember it trust me he heard it from uh his president they were ticked off at fox about that comment troy to his absolute credit you know stood by it like owned it would never say it was out of context or anything like that um i got a lot of, i got a, i got respect for troy Aikman all day I, i'm, I'm uh, well, well, and he's he, he, he is in my opinion and it's hard to sort of quantify this in terms of the big number ones he is yeah. in my opinion the most prepared for every broadcast you know yeah. that guy's done the work when you hear an Aikman broadcast that's a good way of putting it you know you mentioned too um the stuff he had to deal with in dallas uh, you know might have made him a little bit uh um, uh, more open, yeah, not necessarily open, but uh, yeah, he's got like battle scars. Afraid, like, I yeah. mean, what what we ask him is not going to be anything. Like the guy was, the guy had like fifty reporters asking him every single, uh, questioning every decision he made in the pocket. Well, Skip Bayless is one of them, and he, you know, he he said some pretty unethical things about Aikman that didn't didn't seem to have a lot of uh, you know backup. Um, and uh, probably somebody who's less of a gentleman than Aikman is would have taken matters into his own hands for that situation. So, all right, let's listen. I, I, I got it's my own fault. I got to get off Bayless and other things that are just nonsense. <laughs> let's get to <laughs> let's get to the important thing, Chad. In my opinion, this was this was the best divisional playoff um, weekend in the history of the league. Oh, yeah, I, I mean every game was incredible. The, if you believe in sort of momentum, the Chiefs Bills game took the weekend to a to a to a level that was incredible. I mean, you're never going to see that game again. I you know, I, I mean, maybe you will. I shouldn't say never, say never, but like it seems inconceivable you'd get that many points in that kind of time frame and then have a team score to tie a game with 13 seconds left from their own 25. I mean, it was it was awesome. What I want to ask you is, 
and this, and I really don't know the answer to this. I'm just curious your take. How much do you think the momentum of these games carries over to next week in viewership? Because the reality is you don't have the Packers, you know, you, you don't have the Bucks with Brady. You don't have the Cowboys. You have some teams that are not traditionally these viewership teams. At the same time, I, I don't think I've ever had a, seen a weekend where you might have more momentum leading into another weekend. Does momentum carry over? Um, I, I, I think the, the viewership would be uh, pretty massive anyway with, with Mahomes in there. Um, you know, Joe Burrow is, is not a household name yet, but he's on his way. Uh, a, a guy who was uh, had the probably the best quarterback season in college football history, and then uh, uh, is rising to that level of uh, uh, fame, I guess that 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 Mahomes hit a couple of years ago. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him start popping up in all sorts of insurance endorsements and things like that. Uh, in the NFC, you know, you've got uh, you've got a huge uh, market with LA that doesn't have much of a fan base, so uh, it's going to be interesting to see see how that goes. And certainly, probably the suits were rooting for Brady to be there and for Rodgers to be there. But uh, you have a really compelling market ma- matchup with the San Francisco market. The fact that the Niners have owned uh, uh, and Kyle Shanahan's own McVay. I think he's six and zero. Won his last six against him. So there are really appealing matchups, and because they're the conference championships, uh, I think they would have drawn pretty massively anyway. Even though uh, arguably the two most name recognized guys in the league and Brady and Rogers won't be there. Do you think there's any? Uh, I mean, lack of an interest seems like a ridiculous thing to say, given that these games are guaranteed to go over forty million viewers to start with. But does it? Does an all California game? hurt the potential of like mega business just because it's um logically speaking the the fan bases of those teams are most likely west of the mississippi yeah that's interesting i think the niners have a broader reach than than uh, probably nationally uh, probably most of us realize because uh there are a lot of bandwagon jumpers here in new england uh some went with the cowboys because they were america's team and and uh you know, the late seventies, early eighties. And Fox would tell you that they still are based on what they get in that four thirty window. Um, the Niners had that stretch. Uh, I mean, really a dynasty with almost two phases to it where they won their first Super Bowl in 81 against the Bengals. And then you had uh, the second part of it. And then Steve Young winning in 94. Uh, I have friends who, who are Niners fans because the, the Patriots or the New York teams were terrible and uh, they jumped on that uh, championship bandwagon and remain Niners fans. And uh, I, I think their reach nationally is probably a little bit broader than we recognize. We think of Dallas as having that, that reach, the Patriots to some degree, although it's a love to hate them thing with them too. But uh, the, the Niners, because of the Montana era and the four Super Bowls and all they achieved when a lot of the, the, the people in the key demos now were growing up as kids, um, I I I, I, do, I think yeah, I think they're probably pretty happy that the Niners are in the final four. You know, one last thing on Joe Burrow. I uh, I'm with you here. Like one, I think he's he he has the look of a Super Bowl winning quarterback. But I think the that team, uh, the way he plays, you get a couple more playmakers. They could be. You know, you don't you're not gonna you don't traditionally think of Cincinnati as a big viewership team, but a great quarterback can make a market you know, a top five market. Now, I'm not saying Kansas City wasn't always a good market, but it wasn't the market it is today in terms of people from all over the country who tune in to, because they want to see Mahomes. 
So that's an interesting one. I think the league could have Cincinnati, you know, two, three, four years from now, Chad, is like one of the one of the six, seven biggest draws in the league. As somebody who grew up watching the Patriots, where we got the the bottom end um, NBC team, pretty much every Beasley Reese would be doing the color, you know, maybe Don Cricky on play by play and Patriots would go two and 14. They went one and 15 one year in the early 90s. Uh, and they were uh, they dreamed of being as successful as the Bengals were at that time. Anybody can rise up in the NFL. I'm not saying they're going to be a dynasty. Nobody's ever going to equate what the Patriots have done, uh, most likely. But uh, after seeing this franchise that always seemed to find a way to shoot itself in the foot through the years, become what they became under Bill Belichick and Tom Brady at quarterback, uh, I'll believe anybody that if they have the right people in place, if they have the right quarterback in place and a good coach like Zach Taylor seems to be, uh, they can go on an extended run and have a, a really nice period of success in the NFL. I don't believe in uh, cursed franchises anymore. We were we were fed that a lot around here in New England, but uh, it's not really true. Yeah, Cubs. I mean, there's there's too many uh, franchises that have you can except for the Indians. They're still cursed. Or the Guardians. I was thinking the, maybe the Lions. I was thinking, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit HelloAlma.com Therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's HelloAlma.com Therapy60. All right, we'll move to a second time. I mean, I know Robert Seidman, uh, our buddy at Sports TV Ratings, he loves when you do first topic, second topic, third topic, 66 topic. So here's our <laughs> second topic. Here. There's been a lot of uh, talk. You may have written this too. And if you if you have or have, have discussed it somewhere, my apologies if I didn't read it, but you certainly know about it. It seems very clear, Chad, that the gambling companies, you know, whether it's the Caesars or the, the DraftKings, the BetMGMs, et cetera, um, they're they're move they're they've already moved into content, and at a certain point, you would think that they're going to move into um, heavier original content to try to get people on their site or on their you know whatever social media platform they want, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They've already hired some of these places, some um, well known host types, you know, Trey Wingos and Kenny Mains. So we, we've yeah. seen you know we've seen people morph already into the space. So, like, the next question is, will those places go after a big-time insider? Like an Adam Schefter, Adrian Wojnarowski, contracts eventually coming up. You know, the Jeff Passins, you know, name your Ken Rosenthal. Name name your insider who uh, breaks news and who is known for that. Because the one thing these gambling companies have, Chad, is they have oodles of money. Money will not be an object. Right. Blank checks. Right. The question will be, how does an insider at that level feel about no longer being in a legacy place like an ESPN and moving over, moving their point of operations over to to one of these gambling places? We won't even get into the, the, the larger questions of, you know, 
what does that information mean? Would a league still give these insiders access if they're working for a gambling company? Let's just forget about that for a second. I want to take it from the talent end. Do you think someone will jump? Do you think one of these companies is gonna is gonna make the um, the big push? Because it seems like this is an inevitability that's gonna happen. Yeah, I think it would be an NFL insider um, uh, that's gonna get made an offer that they can't say no to. Uh, as you noted, the 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 money is no object, and if they decide that uh, this person's profile is valuable to what we do um, and to getting uh, information out there, uh, they can make an offer that eventually ESPN or whatever outlet it is uh, just uh, won't be tenable for them to match. Um, the question I have is whether that value is as much as it seems like it would be because uh, certainly these ins- insiders gain a lot by the outlet that they work for and the value that that outlet has to the agents and to the uh, executives that are, are trying to get information out there. I mean, when, you know, not to, not to uh, put it all on Woj or anything like that, but, you know, if an agent tells Woj that this guy is uh, uh, going to miss six to eight weeks with an injury and it's not out there yet or something like that, um, or no, a better example is if somebody signs a contract and the agent feels like it's a good contract and he wants it out there because it helps him get other clients that, that has much more value using, uh, having a relationship with, with Woj or somebody like that in that way than it would if Woj is doing this for a gambling site. Um, just, it's not the, or for, for a casino, it's not the same, uh, uh you know, bullhorn uh, that, that he's shouting from. It's not drawing the same audience and it doesn't serve the same purpose. And I don't think uh, providing information to one of the insiders is, would have as much value to agents and executives as it does with them working for a television outlet. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you think, how do you think the leagues would feel about providing, because let's face it, all these, not, I shouldn't say all, many top insiders obviously get uh, in addition to having their agent sources, personnel sources, management sources within teams, they have sources within the leagues. And sometimes the leagues leak stuff to them because they know that they're going to get a big audience. How would the league feel about one of these people um, moving on? My thought, you know, I think there'd be probably some old school journalists who were like, well, the league would not want this at all. Right. But if the leagues are already have partnerships with some of these, uh, with some of these gambling places already chatted, like what's, they already, they're already in partnership with them. Right. So what would, why wouldn't the why would the league sort of have a problem if Schefter is releasing this information on Caesarsports.com versus ESPN.com? Because the league already has uh, deals with both. Let's say. Well, I mean, Schefter already has a relationship with a gambling app. He went in on. Uh, that's right. You, You're right. Yeah, with, yeah with exactly. Robert Kraft and and some other people. Yeah. I well, that 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 to me is. I mean, listen, ESPN approved it, and obviously Adam did. Right, I don't right, know how right, you can right. be in business. How, how can you be in partnership with an NFL owner and report on that team? I mean, that's unbelievable. <laughs> well, there, there's a lot of tangled webs with that one, but I, I think it does confirm that uh, the league is, it would be okay with it if one of these guys uh, depended upon access and, and uh, even maybe sources in the league office um, ended up going to a casino or going to some gambling site. I think it, it it already has tacitly been signed off on. The guys I think who might suffer are the ones who work for the for the league uh, networks, um, because to me it seems like in some of those cases, the majority of their information comes from the league offices. It feels like it comes from league sources. Uh, I've never charted this or written it down or, or 
uh, written a column about those suspicions or anything like that. But it, it just, uh, it, it kind of dawned on me through the years that it, it really feels heavily, um, heavily to come from that direction rather than the player agent direction. So I, I tend to think, maybe I'm wrong, but I tend to think those guys associated with league, uh, league networks would, would probably have the toughest time making that transition. The, my guess is, and again, pure guess, and this will be the last one on this one, I think the value would be to put it behind a paywall, right? Because isn't that the value of like to, um, you know, if you sign up with us, you get this exclusive information from Insider X. Now, I don't know if Insider X would want that, but <laughs> that's how I would look at it. I, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Maybe you put it out there for everybody, but I don't know. Wouldn't the value be like you can get this information five minutes before everybody else? And if that's the case, you have in theory a... Uh, a betting advantage? Well, some of these insiders end up confirming five minutes after somebody else breaks something. That's right. They're, yes. they're kind of habitual of that. Um, what's to stop them from subscribing, seeing that, uh, you know, Schefter has uh, Patrick Mahomes out one to two weeks with a stubbed toe and, and uh, uh, going with it himself? Um, I don't, I, I, it's an ethical question for sure, but one I think would be very easily dismissed by somebody uh, whose whose job is uh, and has a certain desperation to get information. No, I mean I, we again we haven't sort of even discussed the uh, the ethics on this, which you could do an entire podcast on. It does seem like I'm with you. The one thing I interviewed Jay Glazer this week uh, for the my Monday NFL sort of media column, and he said he, I mean he, he said you never say never given the money there, but he he was unlikely to do it. He likes being part of Fox. He loves Fox NFL Sunday. He would not be comfortable going alone. So he, I don't think is going to be the one to jump, but I think you're right, Chad. Someone's going to do it. I mean, I'm just making this up, but like one of these companies says, here's $15 million a year for two right. years right, right. to be an insider. I mean, you're, you're this generational wealth here. I'm not saying Adam Schefter doesn't make millions already, but like, you know what I'm saying? It's just game changing money for two years. And if you're already, if the morality of it, and I put that in quotes because I'm not saying it's immoral to gamble, but like if that stuff doesn't bother you, then like I don't see how somebody doesn't jump at the price that they're going to deliver. They're going to get offered multiple times in salary and perks, what ESPN or you know Fox or whatever. Better, better work to schedule too. Better work-life schedule. Yeah, the downside is probably that the profile is quite a bit lower, right? I mean, Glazer yes. clearly likes being on television. He's good at it. Um, and I think that's the case for most of these guys that do it, uh, that uh, uh, they may have some concern that if they went to work for a casino gambling site, gambling app, something like that, that uh, their their profile would not only start to fall among football fans, but maybe among people who, uh, you know, have clout uh, in football and, and maybe not wouldn't consider them as big a deal as they did before. All right. Last one. We'll make this quick. Um the Olympics. We've talked about this before. I think both of us agree. We're looking at the lowest watch or least watched Olympics on record. I'm excited about it. I can't wait to see how low it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I am. I am. Uh, I, I am. I have loved the Olympics ever since I was a kid. I love to watch it. I will certainly watch it again. But man, does it feel like anecdotally nobody cares about this one. But I saw that uh, Claire Atkinson of Business Insider reported not too long ago that. Um, I hope I have this right. NBC NBC is basically telling its advertisers, those who are buying uh, airtime, ad time on the Olympics, that the they're expecting sort of a lower rating and that they're 
I don't know if that means they're cutting their price, but the, whatever the initial expectation was, NBC has lowered it, which sort of gives you an indication that NBC knows what's coming in terms of viewership. Chad, everything I see out of, out of that country, whether it's um, their COVID protocols and what might happen if you test positive, to uh, the trepidation, understandably, of athletes going there, to human rights activists talking about like what it would be like for athletes to to offer protests against human rights of, uh, abuses in China to I mean it's just a, it goes to the, to the best hockey teams in the world the hockey players in the world not playing there there's like no bit of good news positive news positive energy coming out of Beijing right now and I just I don't again yeah, you'll still get 13, 14 million people, or however many it is on primetime. But like, man, like this just feels like, 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 like an Olympics. You just want to like get through and there's no joy or celebration, um, heading towards this Olympics. It looks like nothing more than, you know, if you make it through to the other side, I guess it's a success. Yeah. My wife was saying last night when we were watching the, uh, I guess it was yesterday afternoon watching the, the uh, NFC, the, the Rams game, and, and they had commercials. And she was like, uh, oh, yeah, the Olympics are coming up. Uh, this is a, the least amount of buzz that we've ever heard for those. And I think that is um, really kind of the consensus vibe of the whole thing right now, that uh, people are vaguely aware of it or aware of it, but not all that interested. And uh I think that changes during the Olympics if nothing drastic happens, if, uh, uh, you know, uh, the prominent athletes don't end up in COVID protocols over there for a couple of weeks and then things turn to complete chaos. So there will be people who emerge that uh, uh, catch the appeal and fancy of, of American sports fans. You know, you've got Sean White, Michaela Schiffer and some well-known names already, but um you, they really need to get into the games, NBC does, and start uh, start establishing some new stars right away early in the Olympics for it to have uh, any kind of buzz at all because it has none going into it. And I actually kind of wondered when they made the not shocking announcement that they weren't sending their, their broadcasters and personnel over there and that they would do it out of Stanford, whether at least part of that was um, – Part of that came from a desire to save money and a necessity to save money. And, that, you know, suddenly they're not paying travel costs, hotel costs, all that. Uh, they can do it from their little uh, uh, Connecticut, not little Connecticut compounds. Um, feels like that was probably a factor in that, even if uh, it's not something they address directly. I will say, like, on this one, honestly, like, um, I can't blame any anyone, you know, whether it's reporters or, or news outlets. Would you go? Uh, no, I would not go. And the athletic no, is sending, and the athletic is sending no one. And I realize, yeah, like, you know, I get it. Like you're supposed to, as a reporter, be like, you know, you go no matter what you cover the news. I, listen, I get all that. And I generally speaking, believe it generally speaking, not, not a hundred percent, but no, I, I know I would not go. I have no interest in going to China. I have been there. Uh, it seems like a horrible place to be with the prospect or potential of getting COVID. Yeah. The, the Olympics were, while fascinating when I went to Beijing in the summer, in many ways were also um, joyless. And also you, I don't know, I just I left those Olympics thinking that I had been in many ways kind of played. Like the Chinese offered what they wanted, really? what they wanted me to see. Because the, 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 now again, we could go out a little bit into the city. It's not going to be like this one. But 
they were incredibly organized. People were certainly friendly, but you never really got a real sense, I think, of what China was about. Um, at it's least, kind of foreboding. Not foreboding, just like you – it's just – the way I looked at it is you would have to be there for a long time and you certainly would have to know Mandarin to really understand the essence of what you were seeing. So yeah. I, in many ways, I felt a little lost in translationist. Like if you watch that movie, that just like up was down, right was left. And what I thought I was seeing, either I didn't understand or I was sort of just seeing what the sort of sterile Olympic presentation was. And some of that's on me. Some of that's the fact that, like, I didn't, you know, I didn't speak Mandarin. I, I learned ten words, and but yeah, it just it it doesn't. It, you know, I really loathe the IOC, and this this is just <laughs> this is just gross on so many levels. That that Beijing was one of the few places that won these Winter Games. The IOC knows full well what China is, and they don't care. And, right, and right, then right, there are right. these other places that are. You know, like NBC and others just trying to monetize it and going along for the ride. It just feels this shoving one, it through. Yeah, yeah. This this as much as I love the Olympics, this one feels a little unseemly, but I, I can only admit, I'm sure some of my feelings have to do with like I'm an American and you know, maybe if I was a Chinese or if I was a Russian, I might look at like an American games the same way. So that but that's that's just my off the top take. Well there's always that unseemly undertone when you really think about uh you know, the motivations of uh the, the IOC and uh, you know, any given country that it's in, but there's always uh, there's always a genuine legitimate joy and and sort of this uh, the, the two I've covered the feeling that uh, holy cow I never thought I would be here to 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 be involved in something like this you know even as a reporter and uh, I don't feel like this one would have that if I went I feel like I would be just trying to get through it and. You never want to have that feeling about anything you're covering. You know, when you, I will say for the people listening, when you do cover it, it is an amazing thing. And one of the most amazing things, and I am glad I saw this. I am glad I saw this with my own eyes. I saw the, um, the badminton final uh, at the Beijing Olympics. And um, it was, and table tennis semis. It basically very few, That's West, awesome. very few Western reporters. It was at a, uh, it was at a college about 40 minutes away from downtown Beijing. They bust us there. It was incredible. I mean, to see that, to see the passion of the uh, Chinese fans cheering that. And you really just got a sense of like, just like how powerful a nation China could be when they get all their people together, um, sort of with one goal. And so I'm glad I saw that with my own eyes. And I'm glad I saw some of Beijing with my own eyes. It was, it's a really fascinating city, but yeah, I'm with you. This is just a weird, surreal kind of games. Um, so I look forward to talking to you maybe halfway through it and we can we can offer our evaluations there Chaz, is there anything you want to promote before I, we get out of here Ooh, promote um see i uh i wrote the red sox chapter in the upcoming uh baseball perspective thing nice. for the the second time yeah it should be out pretty soon and uh always a pleasure to do that and uh we're actually working on a book here that i'm editing at the globe of all of our baseball coverage through the years oh cool uh, pulling That's all great the, yeah yeah goes back to i think 1901 wow. and uh we've pulled all the stories so it's going to be about 400 stories in the book and and uh, we had everything covered we covered uh jackie robinson's uh, sham of a tryout at fenway park uh, uh in the early 40s and uh pretty much uh huge feature stories in the winter on babe ruth and Young and stuff like that so oh, that's amazing. it's a really fun project to pull together and limited writing for me too so that, that's, that's cool yeah, I, yeah. I, I love reading that old stuff all right chad finn is the sports media writer 
for the Boston Globe. Check out his work on that fantastic uh, publication, as well as check out Chad's uh, Chad on Twitter if you are on that service. Chad, thanks as always for uh, popping by the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks, man. Good talking to you as always. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Troy Aikman and Chad Finn for their insights and uh, for popping on the podcast today. Both are excellent, uh, as expected. If you like these kind of conversations, head to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch uh, uh, page on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That's how this podcast continues. Podcast before this, Mike Golick and Jay Glazer, uh, both excellent, uh, particularly uh, uh, Glazer on his uh, mental health struggles. Really honest and transparent about that. That stuff really saves lives. I appreciate that his time. Had a future hockey reporting podcast with Michael Farber, Emily Kaplan, Michael Russo, Pluto Shinzawa. If you're a hockey fan, I think you'll enjoy that. Did a piece on uh, a roundtable a little bit on Ken Rosenthal and Urban Meyer. Uh, Ken Rosenthal getting uh, fired, or not fired, but not renewed by the MLB Network. And Urban Meyer, obviously, can he, will he get uh, hired by a network? And then a conversation on John Madden's legacy with Sunday Night Football producer Fred Gadelli, his John Madden's last producer. That was uh, that was really interesting. Head to the archives. I'm sure you will see things that you like on there. As always, my thanks to Patrick Antonetti for producing this podcast. Thanks to everybody at Cadence 13. And thanks to you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.